This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It's the Christmas special in days gone by, a pod in a studio where we all get drunk. But now a Zoom call at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning because I'm going on holiday and my family want to see me. We all grow up. It does mean we won't be covering the Carabao Cup quarterfinals, so you're allowed to find out the results from somewhere else and we won't accuse you of treachery. But we have an excellent panel. We'll, of course, reflect on the World Cup and hopefully descend into nonsense by the end. An AI Jonathan Wilson, an invite to Greece, and our Christmas tradition of Barry's header. All that plus Christmas messages from your favourite panellists, your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jonathan Wilson, welcome. Morning, Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, John Bruin. Merry Christmas. And uh, Neil says, will you put a ceremonial cloak on Barry Glendening just before recording? Uh, <laughs> hello, Barry. Well, if you do, it will be the nearest I've ever come to uh, graduation from university. <laughs> <laughs> oh, congrats. Maybe you could, do a open, you, know, you could do an open university. You could do a degree now, Barry. You've got time, haven't you? I don't. Okay, uh, then don't. <laughs> well, full of Christmas. Just before we came on air, Barry did the loudest sigh. I know it's like, it is the day after the World Cup final. Um, but, you know, just one more push, Barry, and then it's Christmas. No, I, I think I've, what's happened is um, when we did our Christmas special last year, I had COVID. And I thought, oh, it's, it's just talking. How hard can it be? And about three minutes in, I realized I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but this year, I think I've done that thing. You know where actors or people working on a movie set, they all get ill the day after they rap because they've been, they've been yeah. soldiering through. Yeah, I think I'm getting the lurgy now. So um, I'm, I'm sniffling and yeah. Anyway, carry on. You'll be all right. Um, now we've had a few hours to think about it, John. Was that the best World Cup final ever? Simple answer in my lifetime, which is getting increasingly long. Um Jonathan's life, obviously, is a lot longer than mine and um, <laughs> may recall the 1954 final, the miracle of Bern as being superior. Uh, but, I mean, the, the other final that you compare it to uh, be 1986, a not dissimilar game in which a team goes 2-0 up and the other team finds a way back in and then uh, the team that are winning at the start uh, wins, though, by, by different means. But um, it had it all. Two players uh, that were considered the best in the world rising themselves, that raising their standards above what we thought was even possible, and then um, assorted mini plots with players going off after forty-one minutes, illnesses. You know, there was a certain point during the game where I thought the fallout from this amongst the French players when they've been so bad is going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to carry on for years. And then they came back into the game and I'm wondering if we'll ever hear that now, which is a bit disappointing. And then from that point on, um, the madness of Mbappe scoring a hat-trick and not not actually getting a World Cup winner's medal. Messi having to win the game three times. I think it's quite a good game, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look back, what other finals remotely stand near it and, and John's mentioned them the 54 and 86 
it's really difficult if you don't witness it live. You, you, don't, you, you know, it's much harder to 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 assess the drama of, of fifty four. Uh, fifty four must have been amazing. The fact that nobody gave West Germany a chance and they 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 came back. Can you can you just talk through fifty four to people who don't know it? Yeah, sorry, Hung- Hungary have, have been the best side in the world for since they started playing again in nineteen fifty. Uh, they've gone unbeaten since since winning the Olympics. Uh, so they were four years. Nearly four years unbeaten, thirty odd games unbeaten. They'd they'd beaten England six three at Wembley. They'd beaten England seven one in Budapest at a time when England were, were generally regarded as being probably the best side in the world, certainly by English people. Um, maybe that hasn't changed actually. They they'd beaten Germany, West Germany eight three in the group stage. Then they go two 0 up inside seven minutes in Bern, and West Germany come back, go three two up, and then Pushkas has what appears to be an equaliser ruled out for. I mean, an offside that, honestly, the footage, you have no idea. But apparently it was very controversial with a couple of minutes to go <laughs> by the Welsh linesman, Bill Ling. Uh, so that was clearly huge and dramatic. 86, as John says, Argentina going 2-0 up, West Germany getting it back to 2-2. And then Maradona finally escaping the shackles of, of Loda Mateus to, to set up a winner for Boishaga. That was huge and dramatic. Was it as as dramatic and as tense as, as yesterday? I it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it. Uh, you know, looking back at what my nine-year-old self, ten-year-old self thought, but but who knows? But as John says, it's not just the game. It's it's everything else. It's Messi. It's Mbappe. It's yeah. The stories about illness. It's and just as an event, as an occasion, and there's that sort of that awful paradox that almost the worse the setting, the more depressing the environment, the the more horrendous the circumstances. The, the contrast to the brilliance of the game is that much greater. Yesterday's was the best World Cup final I've ever seen, certainly. I haven't seen them all, um, obviously. But uh, it, just in terms of the, the tension, I mean, when Mbappe scored that second goal, I, I didn't actually make an eye. I just sort of put my hands to the back of my head. And was like, oh, my, <laughs> this, is, this is quite something. Because Argentina looked completely home and hosed and... and uh, France offered absolutely nothing until they scored two goals in what was it? Minute, two minutes, under two minutes, and just they had to to more or less win it three times, and it just got tenser and tenser and tenser. And yeah, it's definitely the best World Cup I've seen. Final. I think for for those you know, it's lucky for those fans on the streets of Buenos Aires who sort of went a bit early, didn't they? And we're out there at 2-0 and then we had to stand there and just go, oh shit, maybe this wasn't the right thing to do. And then finally, finally had their chance. Um, um, I've written down a few possible things we can talk about. Best goal at the World Cup. Wilson, what was the best goal for you? Uh, well, the second, the Dibby Mir goal in the final was pretty good. I think the Neymar goal uh, in the quarterfinal, given the oh, circumstances, yes. I thought that was absolutely stunning. Especially given, you know, he had the chance to shoot. And I sort of thought he slightly missed the opportunity by playing that pass, but yeah, it, it ends up being a brilliant goal. I really liked the the Molina goal against the, Nether- the Netherlands. Was it against Is that the, the Messi pass? That the Messi yeah, pass. the Messi pass. Yeah, just I mean that pass, it's just a ludicrous pass. You know, and I've seen it from every conceivable angle. I've seen the drone footage of it. There's still not a space there. Messi never looks up. Right? <laughs> I just want, is he the luckiest player who ever lived? Is he just not actually that good? Just sort of, just just on an incredible hot streak of luck. Just every time he kicks the ball, that happens to find a man. So they, they'd be the, my three candidates. Any advances on that, John? I thought Richarlison's sort of overhead kick sort of, did it spark the tournament into life, to use that cliche? I can't remember how alive the tournament was by then, to be honest. Mentioned to Valt Veghorst, uh, yeah. For oh, yeah, I mean, come on, I mean that d- d- as cameos go, that was the the ultimate, really. And let us recall, of course, uh, the eventual winners were shocked by Saudi Arabia early doors, uh, and the winning goal um, in that comeback. And there were quite a lot of comebacks, weren't there, in, in the group stage? Uh, but th- that was a fantastic goal by Salim uh, Alderosari. Um, that was fantastic, and of course, uh, you know that was inspired, of course, by Hervé Renard's halftime speech. And I think even I'd have scored that goal 
after Herbie Renard screaming at me like that through a translator. Um, but that was a fantastic moment. I didn't. I didn't see that speech. Did did the translator yell as much as Renard? Or yeah, was it he a did. Bit like yeah. you know, Bielsa going mad, and the, the man going, he, "I'm very angry with you." He did a lot of shouting as well, but not. I mean, you know, I, I think Hervey got his message across. It's fair to say. Um, yeah, uh, you, you know, just think of, think of a John sitting in a in a uh, in a, a a better cut shirt. Let's put it that way. <laughs> It's just just on that subject of uh, of translators. There's a story I was told by um, he's a friend of a friend. I was having a drink with him in in Tynemouth, and he he coached in Ukraine for a while. Uh, he, he had this real issue with this translator, sort of whatever he said. And this this, this lad's a very sort of a bullion bloke. The translator would just be deadpan, very flat. And they got a one-one draw away at Medelskarka, which was a great result. And everybody sort of. Yeah, it's the best they've played all season. Everybody's delighted. And he gets to the dressing room door. He's about to go in. And he says he remembered something he'd been told by... Um, sorry, I've forgotten his name. Uh, he was very briefly West Brom coach. Um, Gary Megson. Pepe Mel. Oh, God, what's he called? Sorry? Pepe Mel. No, it's a Scottish coach. Um, <sighs> Ooh, it's a fun quiz. It's a Christmas quiz for you. Steve uh, Clark. No. Very briefly, West Brom. Sorry. How how brief. Alan Irvine. Alan Irvine, yeah. That that was the shittest Christmas quiz I've ever participated <laughs> <laughs> The Alan Irvine. It's, gonna, it's, the, the Alan, it's the Alan Irvine quiz. And it's you know, it's one question, one question only. You, you can ask any question, but the answer has to be Alan Irvine. You only really once you've played it once, really the Jeopardy's gone from the Alan Irvine quiz. But you know, it's a tradition now. Anyway, carry on with some. He gets the dressing room door. He's about to go in. He knows everybody's buzzing inside. And he remembers what Alan Evans told him. You know, if you really want to you know, get a message across, the uh, you know, the moment to do it is when they're all happy. So he, he turns away, walks back down the corridor, whips himself up into a fury, goes back down the corridor, slams the door open, goes in and goes, you lot, you're an absolute disgrace. I hate working with you. You're all lazy. And he goes around the one by one, he goes to the forward. How did you miss that chance in the first half? You're a disgrace. He goes to the next one. He says, what were you doing not picking up on that corner? I'll never pick you again. You're hopeless. It goes around every individual player, hammers them for something. And the, the interpreter's doggedly following him around, <laughs> sort of trying to kind of summon the same passion. And eventually he gets to the, to the magnetic tactics board and he, he punches it and the tactics board collapses and the counters fly everywhere. And the interpreter looks at him and he nods at him. And so the interpreter gets on his hands and knees, crawls about, picks up the counters, reassembles the tactics board, and then punches it to the ground again. Oh, that's really excellent. Uh, can, can I actually ask, which Alan Irvine is it? Because there's two. Oh, wow. Suddenly the quiz is better than we thought it was. <laughs> there's two. There's the. Because uh, I, I remember. I always used to get this confused. There was an Alan Irvine that I remember seeing in the Screen Sports Super Cup for Liverpool. Uh, and he was a player they signed from Falkirk and never really played after that. And then, of course, there's the other Alan Irvine, which I think is the one that uh, Jonathan's referring to, who is a David Moyes acolyte of many years. You mentioned the Mount Bedcourt goal, and then there was that penalty shootout, and Emmy Martinez was obviously, you know, shit housing in that one as he did in the final. I, I, do you think Barry he's taking football seriously enough, Emmy <laughs> Martinez? The way he, the way he posed with the golden glove. Um, I'd just like to say thank you, Max. Like, I, I had to get up early to try and remember my best goals of the tournament, and now I, I've been trumped by an Alan Irvine quiz. No one's interested <laughs> in my goals of the tournament. Well, you can if you want. What about Vansal Abubakar? Yeah, well, that that was um, one of them. I, I had that hasn't been mentioned yet. Just, I mean, his scoop over the the head of uh, Milinkovic Savage, the Serbian goalkeeper. I think he thought he was offside. Incredibly audacious finish. Um, and, yeah, he, he looked as surprised as anyone, I think, when he went in. And I just thought that the, the Dutch free kick in when Coop uh, Miners played it to the feet of Veghorst when everyone was expecting him to shoot. It was a brilliant goal under any circumstances, but to do it in the 11th minute of stoppage time 
which is it's more or less going to be the last play of the game was was just incredible but um emmy martinez i mean that picture of him posing with the glove <laughs> you know where it's sticking out of his groin um but it's such a shit trophy right it, it just looks like it looks like a marigold it looks like yeah. he's won dishwasher of the year in bass taverns in 1997 <laughs> yeah. i mean that i don't know if they still dished them out but is it the nme awards yeah. used to be just yeah it was like uh, a fi- yeah, it was a middle finger yeah a middle finger on a bit it's a bit like that except the brats it was called yeah or, or yeah um yeah it's an awful trophy and I don't think Emmy Martinez will care about that. This is going to be one of the images of the final. <laughs> with with is it an Amir or a Sheikh or someone looking on disapprovingly as he gyrates? Um, but I mean, Philippe was very angry with the fact that he threw the ball away uh, ahead of Chumani's penalty last night. I didn't think it was that big a deal at all, and it obviously I think it, it worked, didn't it? I think what's strange about that is that, you know, opposition teams should know by now, right, that Martinez is going to do that. And actually some, you know, keepers are now wise to it. So what you do is you get, you know, Hugo Lloris lets in a penalty. He gets the ball straight away and he goes and hands it to who's taking the penalty, right? You know, I don't know who, there's that guy that does those incredibly long threads about things that happen in football. And sometimes I read them and think these are exactly, these are absolutely spot on. And sometimes I'm not sure if he's just like writing after the event. But if Larice picks up the ball after every penalty, if they've had this conversation, they know Martinez is a shithouse, just get the ball. That's what Larice should do and hand it to Chumani or whoever's taking it. And you take that quite, you know, you take that, you can't stop Martinez wandering up to the ref and just being annoying. We, That's up to the ref to do. But well, yeah, John. Well, I was going to say, you, you need to get him booked early with it when he's doing this. Yeah, you get him booked early and then then he's on sudden death and you can't, you can't do that. Um yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he won't be able to. You know, should um, I'm just trying to think of the circumstances that Aston Villa might be involved in a shootout? It probably won't be quite as exciting. Try back up this week. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it <laughs> probably won't be quite as worth as much as the one that he's just been in. Let's put it that way. But um, I'm not sure he'll necessarily play. You know, well, no, no. But but <laughs> should they be in an FA Cup game uh, against Wickham later in the season? Sorry, Wickham, if you. Uh, uh, but then, yeah, the, the referees in 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 our league, uh, let's put it that way, will be wise to it. Um, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of directive over that type of thing because it was all a bit nasty, I thought. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, shithouser is part of the game, but the penalty shootout is fairly sacrosanct because everyone's putting their reputations on the line to take these things. And we've seen the way that actually... Um, unfortunately, uh, this is a byproduct of what happened last night. A couple of the players cancelled their Instagram accounts because of what happened. You know, let's not let's not make that more fervent than it needs to be. Uh, Dave has been in touch. Say hi, Max Barry in the squad. Barry's description of how England fans should be feeling after our exit from Qatar, quietly proud and slightly seething, aptly summed up how I was feeling and really resonated. Most people would generally agree that the majority of what Southgate has carried out during the tenure has been positive, but he's fallen down at crucial moments in crucial games. With that in mind, can I get the panel's take on the viability of either a specific substitutions coach, I've heard it's a thing, or employing a veteran manager known for strong in-game management, good understanding of tactics and ability to change games, being used as a consultant for tournaments Hoddle the Tinker Man Van Hal could this be the last piece of the puzzle who would the panel choose as the best candidate for the consultancy role love the pod keep up the good work Dave an expat of 10 years from Brisbane at Wilson well I think that's what um, Steve Holland Steve Holland oh, fucking hell what are these people's names he's called Steve, Steve Holland, Holland. Yes, yeah. he still is yeah. um, you got it right well done you win the Steve Holland quiz <laughs> well done not Holland uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what Steve Holland's job's meant to be. I think he's meant to be the sort of tactical guru, and and part of that would be, um, yeah, advising on substitutions. I mean, I, I I sort of think if you bring in too many additional staff, then then you you end up undermining the role of the coach. But quite nice to have have, you know, if 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 Southgate brought in Hoddle to be his substitutions expert, and then Hoddle said, "I'm going to bring in, I don't know, Arsene Wenger to be my." expert and you could just have this like Russian dolls couldn't they just get older and older football men to eventually make the finals and by the time the really old one who's probably quite doddery has decided it's full time and the game has finished but we have asked all the tactics experts 
I mean, the problem with bringing in an, uh, an older coach is that when they were at their peak, you didn't have five substitutes. It was a totally different game in terms of when you when you could make substitutions. So, so when the old person own, can only... You've made two already, mate. You're yeah. done. This <laughs> is over. Two? What are you doing bringing <laughs> two players? It's 1966. <laughs> Didn't they used to say that um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was very good at watching from the bench uh, when he was a player? So maybe he could be brought in as some sort of oh, specialist yeah. guy. Uh, but as Jonathan says, it's, it's five subs now, so... In the World Cup final, you can take off two players after 41 minutes and it not necessarily mean that you've used up all your juice. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting point. Um, are we really going down this point of view that you have like a, a throw-ins coach, a free-kicks coach? It's all a bit NFL at that point, isn't it? Well, man, you're saying a slightly Richard Keys there. I mean, it worked for Liverpool, didn't it? You know, got them their trophies, the fine margins. And you like fine margins. But but has it, though? You know, that's the question. Uh, John says, can the pod pick one player they've come across at the World Cup, pick a Premier League team they'd like to see you move to, please? Uh, either for detailed tactical reasons or just, I don't know, for a laugh. John? Yeah, well, it's funny you should ask that because uh, me and my colleague and friend, Will Unwin, were asked to pick out some players that might interest those uh, clubs in the Premier League. And those included... Uh, Morocco's Bono, I'll set aside the uh, U2 puns, um, Doan um, of Japan, uh, talking of subs, now this guy, every time he came on, uh, Japan scored, when he started games, Japan lost, so, uh, he, but he, he, in this era uh, when the five subs, impact subs, he could be very good for somebody Here's a player that I, I liked, uh, Aisa Laiduni of Tunisia. This guy ran all day. And in our league, I think that's worth quite a lot. Uh, I believe, actually, that uh, Celtic are interested in him. But um, if if we are, uh, the pressing game is, is the way forward, um, then there's a guy that will press all day um, and, and absolutely ran himself into the ground. Um, and then... Uh, of course, um, there's a player from Stoke City. He's actually back playing now, Harry Souter, uh, who was so fantastic for Australia. Um, he played one game in a year for um, Stoke because he'd had a, an ACL, came back, shone at the World Cup, and Graham Arnold is telling everybody he's good enough for the Premier League. So maybe Harry Souter can be the man. All right, that'll do for part one. Um, as is tradition on Christmas specials, here are some well wishes from some familiar Football Weekly voices. Hello, Max. Hello, Barry. Hello, listeners. It's Nadam here, the 2010-2011 Gold of the Season winner for Sunderland AFC. And I want to wish you all a very happy Christmas. Hope you have a great time with your loved ones and get all the presents that you want as opposed to all the presents that you deserve. But anyway... Season greetings nonetheless. Now take care and speak to you soon. Hello, Mark Langdon here. Just taking time out from my side hustle as a Postman Pat lookalike to wish Max Barry and all the Football Weekly listeners a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hello, everybody. It's Jonathan Faduba. And I'm just sending this message to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Hope you have a fun-filled holiday season full of Christmas spirit, mince pies, football, festivities, more football, uh, wine, beer, and whatever you celebrate with, if you celebrate, of course. And thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure to be on it this year, and I hope you have enjoyed it. So have a fantastic time with your loved ones. Take care. Dear Football Weekly clan, Max, Barry, listeners, have yourself a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and a Guten Rutsch, as they say in Germany, which means a good slide. It's cute, isn't it? Yeah, anyway, um, do all of that and get merry. All right, bye. Oh, this was Archie, by the way. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. 
So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hi, Max and Barry. This is Paul Watson, the Donny van der Beek of Guardian Football Weekly. Just wishing you all a very happy Christmas. And um, don't forget there's Azerbaijan Premier League football at 11am. So if things start to get a bit stagnant, you're covered. Hello, Guardian Football Weekly fans. Still feels pretty surreal to be asked periodically to appear on this podcast with the people I've been listening to for years and years. It's a real privilege to be welcomed into the Football Weekly family by Max and Barry and producer Joel, and hopefully by most of the listeners. Hope you all have a fantastic Christmas and a happy 2023. And like me, I hope you keep finding comfort in all the ridiculous stories thrown up by football. Me, I'm in succession planning mode for the new year, just in case I happen to be cancelled. I have my replacement in training. Morris, can you say, get it launched? Well done. Hello, Football Weekly gang. Max, Barry, all the other contributors, listeners, producer Joel. I feel like the last time I had to do this was for Barry's half birthday. That it wasn't his half birthday. I can't remember. I did it anyway, but it didn't feel very legit. Anyway, happy Christmas. Have a wonderful festive period. Um, I would say have a nice break from the football, but we never really get a break from football, do we? It's kind of endless. Um, but if you're a bit fed up of all the corruption and the rubbish side of football, um, shameless plug, but we've just released a game plan for how football can actually do some really nice things in society and solve some of society's biggest challenges. So that is my festive gift to you all. Go read it. It's on the FBB website. Um, sorry, that should say the FBB website. I didn't really announce it at that. Well, that's probably not good for actually getting people to go there so anyway i'm gonna stop rambling now have a wonderful christmas love to everyone and a happy new year welcome to part two of the guardian football weekly uh, one more on qatar john you were there um how was it off the pitch pretty miserable i mean it's you know it's just it's just an awful place uh in every respect yeah everywhere you go you know what allowed those buildings to be built everything feels incredibly Artificial. Um, yeah, Barney wrote a brilliant piece going to the the preposterous malls of Lusail, which is sort of new settlement just north of Doha, where, where the stadium for the final was. Uh, which, you know, if, if people haven't read that, they should read. And there's some great photos from Tom Jenkins as well. So this huge boulevard that supposedly is the Champs Elysees of the Middle East, totally empty. Um, these kind of weird mix of very high end shops and you know, a Sainsbury's and a Nando's and a Chuck E. Cheese. There's sort of, there was loads of World Cup branding and flags and, and adverts with Neymar. And, but there was no people and there was nowhere to actually watch football. So just the environment is, is pretty bleak. You get, I mean, uh, the Albite Stadium where England played, seemed to play all their games, which is sort of about 40k north of Doha. Just stuck in the middle of the desert. There's just nothing there. It's why have you done this? Why have you built this here? Why why has there been this great human suffering to to construct this thing that's pointless? So that's that's there all the time, and and this is clearly a much more trivial point I'm moving on to. And I realise that the um, the transition is awkward. But the fact that you could go to games every day means you tend to go to games every day, and it's not like there's huge amounts of other things to do. Uh, and that's a really bad idea because you get knackered and loads of journalists got ill. You know, huge numbers of, of the British press corps went down with, with illness. Loads of the Argentinians went down. I'm sure it was true of other uh, 
other nationalities as well, but they were the two I was uh, aware of, this sort of terrible sort of flu-y virus thing that they, you know, they, they gave a new name to. They said they called it Doha flu because Doha had never had this sort of influx of visitors, which had led to this um, incubation of this whatever flu virus thing it was. And, it, you know, that, that was, well, yeah, it was really bad when you got it. Um, but also it occurred to me, actually the, the best bit of tournaments when you're covering them is when you finish your work for the day and you go out in the evening to watch the late game with other journalists, with your mates, and you have a nice meal and a couple of glasses of wine. And it was almost impossible to do that at this tournament. Uh, not because of the booze, just it was very hard to find restaurants with TVs. It was very hard to get that downtime because you were at games all the time. So it became this, oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure people are weeping right now of me having to cover the World Cup and how terrible that must be. But it was incredibly draining. Um, plus the sort of, as I say, that, that background shadow of what has been the human cost of all of this. And it's so pointless because Qatar is heating up faster than anywhere else in the world. And it would be uninhabitable by 2070. And they still carry on with this building work and still carry on pumping out their conditioning everywhere into parks, into this boulevard, just air conditioning, which is obviously just accelerating the process of, of climate change. So it's an incredibly bleak place. Glad, Barry, you got Jonathan to ask that during the Christmas special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Christmas important points that not that we haven't made already. Actually, you know, while we've covered the the pod and we've wrestled with, you know, trying to get the balance right between talking about the human suffering, talking about the football. Hopefully, we managed to do that. Um, moving on, Joe says, "How the hell do we get back to Everton nil, Aston Villa nil after that final?" I, I wonder, John. I kind of think the Premier League will start again, and we'll just we'll just lap it up. I don't think there'll be a sort of hangover. I think we'll just be, there'll be a few narratives about, does he look tired? You know, Harry Kane will get a penalty. There'll be those kind of things. But really, we'll just get straight back into it because everybody does. Well, the Premier League has actually shown in the last couple of years what a hardy perennial it is, you know, with lockdown football and um, coming back from lockdown as well. And as soon as it starts, it's because it's so helter-skelter, we're straight in there. The Boxing Day is going to be strange, of course, because you know, eight days before or whatever, six days before you you were you were watching the World Cup final. But we'll, we'll soon be back into it, I'm sure. Uh, um, you know, uh, I have a nice FA Cup trip to Coventry booked, uh, so you know, it, this is where it all begins. Uh, Jim says another one for you, really, John. Following its proven success at the World Cup, will 2023 be the year that more teams hashtag Get It launched? Yeah, I do think, um, and, and obviously, uh, there's uh, one of among us has written uh, some lengthy screeds on tactics. Uh, so I wanted to ask Barry. Uh, no, um, no, uh, <laughs> it's an open goal that you scored yourself, but well done. <laughs> but no, I, 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 um, I, I uh, it's always been. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? You know, Louis Van Gaal uh, is the. Uh, and we've discussed this on the pod before, the Dutch master, and Cruyff did this as well, you know, when in doubt, smash it long. And it sort of, it sort of worked for France as well in the World Cup final. Ultimately, uh, tired players, tired minds are going to struggle with those types of tactics. Um, you do wonder um, if the classical centre-forward might come back in some form. The World Cup actually has been a reasonable... Um, advert for the Get It Launched um, campaign. Uh, long may it continue. I'm sure it will, uh, in, in, the, in Britain in particular. Um, yeah, but it's it's never been the worst tactic in the world because, as, as you said, I think a few weeks ago, is Frank de Boer to Dennis Bergkamp Get It Launched or what? Well, of course it is. So it can work. It can, it, can, it can invoke the beauty of the game too. And it's hard to defend against, isn't it, Wilson? Like, clearly teams work it out, you know, but 90 minutes of defending, getting it launched is a, t- is a tough day. Um, I mean, it depends who your centre-backs are. It depends who the opposing centre-forward is. Uh, but yes, fundamentally. I mean, I, I think there is a, a cyclical aspect to football tactics. Uh, and it's not purely cyclical, we're not just going around in circles, because every time you come around on another revolution, you have a knowledge of what's gone before. So it's more of a of a helix than a than just a, a circle. But 
if you if you have a very um, compact press that's very hard to play through, what is your option? Your option is to go over it. And what is going over the press but getting it launched? So it's a it's a logical next step that when, when the press improves to the point it's almost impossible to play through, you have to play over it. Pep Guardiola has employed getting it launched in the past, hasn't he? There's that famous game between Bayern and a Klopp-era Dortmund in which Dortmund were the presses of all presses and he just said, all right, we'll launch it to Thomas Muller up front. And, and have it, he played Javi Martinez rather than being a holding midfielder, played him as a centre-forward alongside Muller, yeah. Ronan says, Hello, Guardian Football Weekly team. Whether as a schoolboy, a ranked social league amateur, me, or a true professional, we all, or at least I do, have one moment of standout brilliance that transcended our usual level and brings a smile when we reflect back on it. I once received an awkward ball at thigh height, trapped it beautifully, and in one motion turned two midfielders before playing a raking diagonal ball across field to an on-running attacker to score at the back post. I felt like Messi... Unlike Messi, this was in a 7th Division Auckland Social League and I loudly asked all around me if they'd just seen what I did. I'm just wondering what are the greatest individual moments of brilliance for the pod were. Cheers, Ronan. Barry, it is a Christmas tradition. (laughs) Could you please tell us about... Everybody wants to know about your header. We get tweets about it through the year. Can you please tell us about your only headed goal? Um, Well, I I was actually thinking of a change of plan today. I was going to regale you with the tale of the time I took a point off the uh, UK uh, women's number one table tennis player. Okay. But, you know, it just made her mad and she ensured I didn't take any more points off her. I Yeah, my header, which I think we've now established was an actual own goal. <laughs> it was just on a school pitch we used to call Wembley. Uh, Cross came in from, I think, my friend, and he's still my friend to this day, Michael Littleton. I closed my eyes, cr- stretched my neck, gave it everything, and um, there was a, a young fellow in the year below us called Beaver. He was in goals. And, I mean, I've got slightly rattled in, in, in the intervening years, so I can't remember if the ball... I'm pretty sure it hit the post and then hit Beaver and dropped over the line. <laughs> but it might have hit Beaver and then he might have fumbled it onto the post and it dropped over the line. But the important thing is it dropped over the line. And that was the only goal I've ever scored with the with my head with the assistance of, of Beaver, who's whose real name I can't even remember, but it was a very long time ago. Well, what's good is um, producer Joel has gone into the archives. Now we can listen to the 2020 and 2021 versions (laughs) of Barry's header. And then next year, we'll listen to all three and get it again. And eventually, the Christmas special will just be this anecdote on a loop. But ladies and gentlemen. Is that actually going to happen? Yeah. yeah. All right. Because I suspect... The memory is pretty good, you know. It, okay. uh, but you know, I um, now I know that Beaver was in goal, right? <laughs> Within five years, I'll be able to tell it better than you. Anyway, here it is, twice more for you. In the first one, I, you know, I think I don't know if we're going to go back year by year. Maybe we should do that. We should go. We'll play twenty twenty ones, and then we'll play twenty twenties because twenty twenties, you're shit faced. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> here they are, and that'll do for the end of part two. Squeeze says, tell us about Barry's header again. (laughs) (laughs) We never really really deconstructed this because we were quite drunk this time last year, if anyone wants to go back to the Christmas special last year. And at one point, Barry talked about scoring a header, which I feel it transpired was an own goal. Um, Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Well, it was in a game in my old school and... My mate, Mick Littleton, crossed the ball to me. I was way out, out, you know, sort of on the edge of the penalty area. And I headed it as hard as I could. And I was really bad. I was like Trevor Brooking. I didn't score many headers, you know. <laughs> Were you like Trevor Brooking in any other way? No. No, okay. <laughs> No. That was the only thing I had in common with Trevor Brooking. Neither of us scored many headers. I connected perfectly, more by uh, accident than design, I suspect. And the ball 
hit the post and then hit Beaver, this guy who was in goal, <laughs> and then went over the line. So, yeah, I, I guess it was an own goal because technically a shot that hits the post isn't on target. Uh, now, this was back in the days before up to stats, I hasten to add. Uh, but yeah, so be, it's a beaver own goal. But I'm such was the power of the header that it hit the post with such velocity. He was unable to keep it out. Um, well done, Barry. So, so technically it's beaver's goal, but I imagine he doesn't want it. Uh, and I, I do. <laughs> what I'm looking forward to is now an annual tradition of Barry talking us through the same header every Christmas until we're all fired uh, or until podcasts don't exist. Well, there's no greater feeling than doing something good on a sports field. I scored a header against Broomfield opening day of the season from a long throw and I pushed their midfielder who is an absolute bastard. And I absolutely, I really, like, really pushed him over and headed it in. The ref didn't see it. And they were absolutely furious. It was fucking marvellous. Um, it, is, it is quite funny, actually, because my sporting achievements are very few and far between. But I can remember all of them. I can remember the first try I scored playing rugby. Like, my dad basically dragged me down to the local rugby club when I was age four and right turn him into a rugby player he named me Barry John after a famous uh, Welsh out half like brilliant player he obviously had high hopes for me I have hugely let him down <laughs> sorry dad not that you know what a podcast even is but um, he won't have got to the end of part two that's for sure no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the only goal I scored playing for Burr Town I, I I remember the highest checkout I've ever got in darts. I remember my highest break in snooker. It is kind of funny if a policeman came and asked me where I was last Thursday. I would struggle to remember that. But I can remember all those landmark sporting moments. I don't know if you're all the same. Completely. Yeah. I don't have many landmark sporting moments. I remember the only goal I ever scored with a header. Uh, it was from about 12 yards out. I met it perfectly with my eyes closed. You know, a, a stop clock is right once a day. But I remember when I opened my eyes, it hit the post. This young lad called Beaver was in goals. Sorry, Beaver, I can't remember your real name, but um, that was his nickname. Be It hit the post. Beaver hit it back onto the post, and then it flooped over the line. I remember that. It's the only ever header I ever scored uh, a goal with, and that was when I was, I don't know, 16 years old. I'm 47 now. I can remember that. I would struggle to remember what I did a week ago. Well, you so can't that... remember anyone who plays for West Brom, so... Yeah, well, no, that's... <laughs> I think he's not alone It's not that, that I don't fair. remember them. I just, I don't know who they are. <laughs> a stop clock is right twice a day, Barry, by the way. Hello, everyone. It's Ed Aarons here. Just wanted to wish everybody a very happy Christmas, especially to Max and Barry. Thanks for everything this year. It's been a great year so far. And uh, here's to 2023. See you on the other side. My friend, I, um, I'm lucky enough to feature on a Guardian football podcast once a month. Okay. Are you into football? Sorry? Are you into football? Yeah, I, play, I, mean, I sometimes play, but um, I mostly watch football. Who's your team? To be honest, uh, I'm in support of England. But oh. when I was in back home, I used to support Germany. Germany, okay. Is there a club you support? In here? Yeah, Any, yeah. anywhere. Manchester United? Yeah. Oh dear, Otherwise, sorry. Real Madrid. Real Madrid, okay. So you just support any big club that's yeah. going, yeah? Okay. Um, I've got to send a message to my colleagues on the Guardian Football Weekly. Okay. I'm going to record it now. But can I get you to record it on my behalf? Season's greetings to Max and Barry. Season's greetings to Max and Barry. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Christmas all. Not much can top it from a women's football point of view. Such a shame the men couldn't bring it home. But don't worry, we've got the Women's World Cup next summer. Hold up. 
Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello, it's Nick Ames here. I am just getting on the Metro after leaving the World Cup final and it is lively here in uh, Doha. Um, and then in a day or so I'm coming home to a thing called Christmas which I gather is something a lot of people do every year and I hope you all have a fantastic one uh, whether you're celebrating Christmas or something else or just looking forward to a break over the holiday period. I hope you can have one. Hope you have a lot of fun with friends and loved ones and thank you so much for all of your support and listening and feedback um, and everything else over the last year it is always so valuable to us and we can do it without you so have fun speak soon hello matt hello barry this is paul mckinnis from the guardian sports department journalism division I'd like to wish you a very merry, happy Christmas and a spectacular new year. I'd just like to say that the light you bring into people's worlds through whatever it is you do, I mean, I'm, I for one am incredibly grateful and I know many tens of other people are too. So keep up the good work and I'll see you on Zoom soon. Hi everyone, Buon Natale, Happy Christmas. I hope that unlike so many beleaguered Serie A managers before you, you get to eat your panettone this Christmas and uh, I hope you're looking forward to the return of Serie A, obviously the most important kind of football on January the 4th. But in the meantime, have a fantastic festive season, whatever that looks like for you. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, thank you to Alberto, uh, who <laughs> tweeted to say, I finally figured out how Jonathan Wilson does it. And uh, he, this, have you seen this sort of AI thing? You can ask artificial intelligence to write something in the style of something. Have you seen this? Well, yes. we, uh, we, had, we had quite a lot of fun with that in Doha. Right. Um, certain journalists uh, are very ripe for that kind of... Uh, uh, bad enough. Mm, certain journalists are, yeah, such as. There was, yes, was one yeah. day when uh, when Barney was really struggling with a piece, so put in uh, write 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 an article for the Guardian in the style of Barney Rone, uh in which he tells Gareth Southgate to resign because the morons don't deserve him, and literally paragraph three was take for example the analogy of a badger <laughs> in a waistcoat. <laughs> was it? <laughs> and it goes on that it is still the same badger. It is still aggressive. It is still the animal it always was. And yet it has an air of sophistication. <laughs> has not Gareth Southgate done the same with the England team? Anyway, thank you to Alberto, who did write a Jonathan Wilson sports column on how Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't press and is therefore not good enough to play for elite teams anymore. As one of the greatest players of all time, Cristiano Ronaldo has achieved nearly everything there is to achieve in the world of football, but at 36 years old, it's clear that the Portuguese superstar is not the player he once was. One area where Ronaldo has consistently struggled throughout his career is his pressing ability, or lack thereof. 
For elite teams like Barcelona, Bayern Munich and Manchester City, pressing is a crucial art of the game and players who can't press effectively simply can't be part of these teams. In his prime, Ronaldo's speed and athleticism allowed him to cover ground quickly and make up for his lack of pressing ability. But as he has aged, his physical abilities have declined and his lack of pressing has become more and more apparent. In recent years, we've seen Ronaldo struggle to keep up with younger, more dynamic players in the biggest games. Against teams that press aggressively, Ronaldo's often been a liability as he fails to track back to help his team out defensively. Of course, Ronaldo's incredible goal-scoring ability means he will always be a valuable player for any team, but at the highest levels of the game, where teams are built on collective defensive effort, Ronaldo's lack of pressing ability makes him a poor fit. It's a shame to see a player of Ronaldo's calibre no longer able to compete at the highest levels, but the reality is that age and declining physical abilities have caught up with him. For the sake of his own legacy and for the good of the team he plays for, Ronaldo would be, do well to retire from elite football before it's too late. Are you happy with that? You're going to do that, take that one, Wilson? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... It's, it's missing certain key elements. Uh, reference to Valerie Lobanovsky. <laughs> yeah, working references yeah. to either Rigo Saki. Oh, yeah, to, to Rigo Saki and or Valerie Lobanovsky. Work in references to dead Hungarians, and ideally work in a submerged quote from a nineteenth-century poet. I was going. I was going to. I was going to say actually, um, no mentions of Hamlet, no mentions of, S- of Sunderland. I'm, I'm sorry, it doesn't pass muster for me. <laughs> and there's nothing in that AI written piece that would make it into Sood's corner mm. of private art. No, so what we're saying no. is the robots won't be able to take over yet, but they're they're on their way, aren't they? Well, I think you can maybe give it slightly more precise instructions. Oh, is that right? I think you can say. You know, include a quote from Tennyson or something, and then it would, uh, okay. you know, we, trawl whatever it's been fair to find Tennyson quotes. We actually had a question about, um, you know, Messi saying, "Look, how can Messi fit in a team when he doesn't press either? What, what's the di- what's the difference?" Well, I mean, the truth is he can't really. I think he causes massive problems uh, at club level, and I think one of the reasons PSG are very unlikely to win the Champions League is that both he and Mbappe don't press. Um, but with Argentina, he gets away with it because they basically they, they play with eight men behind the ball. Uh, I think that's why they improved when they went to the four four two that they used in the semi final and the in the final. And their their job is just to keep things tight. And then Messi will pop up and do something at some point. And Alvarez turns out to be the the perfect foil for him. So they're not really playing proper modern football. But at international level, you can get away with it. It doesn't matter. Uh, Nikos says, Dear Pod, greetings from sunny Greece. I've been listening to the pod for quite a while and been thoroughly enjoying it, even more so now that I've managed to rupture my ACL and have to endure hours of daily physiotherapy torture. Listening to Philippe bash Messi or Max offer Upamecano a strepsil really helps me get through it all. As it happens, I manage a pretty cool villa on the Isle of Mykonos. I was thinking we should totally get the entire pod together for a live broadcast next summer. As it's known for being a bit of a party island, we could throw a little after party too once we're done chatting about football and perhaps get Barry or Lars to DJ. I'm sure you'll take this as a joke, but if you were ever interested in coming, I'm sure we could actually make it work. Um, Barry, shall we go to Mykonos? Do you reckon Mykonos is our kind of place? Oh, it does look nice. It's like, it's like, it's it's, it's infinity pools as far as the eye can see. Yes, yeah, sounds good to me. Um, I've never been to Mykonos. I, I don't know, is it a young people's island? Would we be out of place? Isn't that where, isn't, isn't that where Harry Maguire, was that, was that Harry Maguire, um, had his incident. Oh, okay, right. I think it is a young person's island, Barry, yeah. So the idea of Barry looking crestfallen as he's led out of a police station one morning. (laughs) 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 Anyway, well, listen, look, if we can make it work, why not a live show in Mykonos? We'll have to tailor the content a bit if it's for young people. There's uh, probably likely to be a few footballers knocking around who we could get in for cameos or guest appearances. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, look, we'll, look, we'll be in touch. Richard says, hi, Max, and supporting cast. Thanks. I like how you phrased that. Uh, loving the World Cup coverage. But who is this person pretending to be Barry? And what have you done with the real one? As a long-time listener, I've been disconcerted by his use of adjectives. Brilliant and fantastic. More times in the past few weeks than in the entire existence of the podcast. If I wanted enthusiasm, I'd listen to Micah Richards. Hopefully this is just a temporary affliction brought on by the joy of watching the world's best. And I'm hoping that normal service will be resumed following a midwinter nil-nil between Bournemouth and Wolves. Bring back the curmudgeon, Richard, in Western Australia. How do you plead, Barry? Yeah, I've even felt a bit guilty for enjoying the football so much because of all the stuff Wilson alluded to earlier and the stuff, you know, that's been highlighted by Barney and other Guardian writers and Miguel and Adam Crafton and various other people. Um, But it it has 
just from a footballing point of view, been a, an outstanding World Cup. And I guess that's a bit of a win for the Qataris, which is disappointing, isn't it? Uh, Daniel says, with it being so cold recently, I've been thinking a lot about draft excluders. Which footballer would you most like to have lie down by your lounge door through this festive period? I actually thought this, Wilson, I, I thought this could be a good for a club shop, not get actual footballers. But, you know, if in the club shop, if in the West Ham club shop, you've got like a Mark Noble draft excluder, lots of West Ham fans would buy that, wouldn't they? Like every club could just get their, their you know, the club legend, a big dunk draft excluder yeah or, or a player who, who famously goes down easily and is used to lying on the floor uh, yeah yeah that's true like a pepe a pepe <laughs> draft excluder would be great the big dunk draft excluder would be too long though for your average door you'd... or do you think so mm. maybe it, it's it would for be an of... excellent security to tell it though wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> for a barn it's more for a barn whereas i guess like a an, an akin fenwa one would just fill the whole door <laughs> wouldn't it um, question for John says Chris who is Macclesfield's greatest export is it him Ian Curtis or the Mac lads whoever they are well funny enough we all went to the same school uh, and uh, I'm on that school's alumni list but the Mac lads aren't uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Mac lads um, not f- p- par- parental advisory lyrics the one thing I'd say about the Mac lads is that um, th- their songs are uh, they started off satirical and it was a satire on the way people lived their life in this uh, northern town, beer and sex and chips and gravy. And when I was at school, there were certain people in my class at school who thought this stuff was all true and would try and act out and behave as if they were having uh, 88 pints in the pub um, and had lots of casual sex and um, all this type of thing when they were 13 years old. So a very influential group, um, but of course uh, I've been a long-term fan of, of Ian Curtis and, and Joy Division. And when I was at school, uh, because I am sad, I went into the school library and found an old register in which his name was there. Um, and uh, they, they, he was not someone they mentioned in those days, of course, because you know it, uh, it was a quite a, you know it was a quite a staid establishment and a sort of rock and roll hero was not really the type of thing that they wanted to celebrate. But that's changed a bit now, I think. Um, not that anyone is celebrating me as a rock and roll hero, I should say. I celebrate you as my go-to, uh, you know, at least the knowledge of... Were you ever in a band? You must have been in a band, John, wasn't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, briefly, yeah, with my mates. Yeah. What were they called? What were you called? Yeah, uh, funny enough, a, a mate sent a, a fly that he'd done for it in which he'd misspelled Mrs Thatcher's name wrongly so there was some sort of political lyrics the band was called bloom uh, and the singer was a guy called robin who i'm still very good friends with and the, i remember the lyrics to the first song uh the, in fact the only song we ever played because uh, we actually never even got out of uh the garage we mate dave's uh yeah well D- dave's mum was a music teacher so they had a, like a music room uh. uh and uh but yeah th- these are the lyrics uh amazing and the lyrics were, I'm a rich bastard, what's the beef? I pay my taxes and I clean my teeth. I'm going down on Walt Disney. I don't remember the rest of it, but good God almighty, they were so... <laughs> I think I'd buy it. I mean, we have the personnel to have a Football Weekly band. Because, you know, John has previous, Max, you could... You I was know, the bass player. Max, yeah. lead singer, guitarist. Philippe, multi-instrumentalist. I reckon Lars could be a good drummer. Yeah. Well, no, Lars plays the symphonium, isn't he? Of course. Yeah, the yeah. euphonium. He plays the euphonium. Euphonium. Yeah. And Ellis used to be in a band in Wales when he was younger as well. What did Ellis play? I think, uh, I think he plays the guitar badly. Um, he was in a band. He's a big fan of Gorky's Zygotic Monkey. Uh Welsh language stuff, yeah. Welsh language stuff and the super furry animals. So I think it was that kind of shtick or ooze. Psychedelic type of thing, yeah. Wilson could sort of stand at the back just climbing or hitting a tambourine every now and then. Well, I thought, you know, like you, Wilson, you know, a few others, you know, could like be like, you know, like like the sort of in like nice sort of suit and boater sort of doing synchronised dancing, like the sort of backing (laughs) singers might be quite nice. Um 
Kath says, Hi, Football Weekly. In the spirit of letting people know when they do stuff that you think is amazing, thank you for your daily World Cup pods. I'm exhausted just watching the football. Can't imagine the work that goes into creating and producing them daily. Um, it is literally just sitting on the sofa watching football, Kath. But, you know, we, we make, we pretend. The bosses seem to say, well done, you must be so tired. But anyway, pod comes out in the late afternoon, early evening here in Denver. I look forward to it every day. Getting it turned around that quickly after the final game is so impressive. I wanted you to know it's deeply appreciated by at least one random Brit in Colorado. You strike the perfect balance of making me laugh and making me think. And I learned a ton from your pre-World Cup specials too. I don't think I heard any other podcasts at that kind of level. This is high performance, Kath, isn't it? Thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. And all the lovely messages we've got. And we'll finish with this from Matthew. Um, uh, parental, parental advisory, uh, just in case your kids are listening. Can you get Wilson to say his classic catchphrase? yippee ki yay motherfucker. Um, <laughs> go on then, Wilson. What's, is this from Die Hard? Correct. Yeah. If, 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 if Die Hard, instead of Bruce Willis, it was a, a slightly uh, sort of worn out Mackham saving the world from, you know, from Alan Rickman as an evil terrorist. That's really building himself up for this. Well, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> thank you. Uh, that'll do for today. Happy Christmas, everybody. Uh, thank you, Barry. Yeah, happy Christmas, everyone. Thanks, John. Yeah, happy Christmas. Uh, and thank you, Wilson. Cheers, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Uh, we'll be back on December the 27th. The Premier League returns and oh, so do we. God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that break was fun. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Steve. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 